The following message is copyrighted by Westminster Theological Seminary. Duplication, distribution, or other use of all or any part of this message is not permitted without prior written consent. Please direct your inquiries to communications at wts.edu. For all other information, please visit the main website at www.wts.edu. going to say, uh, whatever Paul Tripp said, that's what I want to say about homosexuality. But then I hear that Paul said whatever he was going to say, Jeff was going to, was going to say it, and John had already said it. Um, so I, I think we're in trouble today. Um, I can't be as, as gracious and as smooth as Leslie was. Um, hopefully the topic will, will stand on its own merits. It's uh, certainly a very important topic. Yeah, it is. It, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say I'm the best to last, certainly, but, uh, but the topic is certainly politically the, the most hot of the topics presented today. Um, on a denominational level, at general assemblies, this is probably the hottest of the topics that you're going to encounter today. Um, why is that? Oh, is it, a, is it the, the 60s finally catching up with us, where the, the new ethic has been... Uh, as long as I don't hurt somebody else, then it's permissible, then it's good. Um, has it been the impetus of the, the new presidential administration? Uh, I'm sure that that's, been, that's certainly been part of it, uh, because a lot of the research I'll be talking about today has just come out over the last, you know, over the last few years uh, with administration funding. So whatever the case, this is, this is certainly a very important topic, and I hope your brains have just barely enough left to, to squeeze a few more things in. This is what I want to do. I want to ask two questions, two tasks, I guess. Uh, one is, is homosexuality a moral issue, issue or is it a biological issue? Now, we are a friendly audience, and there may be just a handful of you who, who would, would suggest it's a biological phenomenon. Uh, but it's, it's critical for us to talk about this for a number of different reasons. See, all of you, if I ask for a show of hands, is it moral or biological? If it was moral, everybody would raise their hands except perhaps just a, a small pocket of you. Um, but at the same time, there's something subtle that's taking place. You hear the information on the 6 o'clock news, and you hear it time and time again. You hear the experts speaking in the Wall Street Journal, and there's something about homosexuality that you're not familiar with, and, and here it is. You, you begin to have this subtle erosion of confidence in the scripture. Maybe, maybe I'm not interpreting scripture accurately. Maybe there are some things that I am missing. Uh, so I think that first section will be very important for all of us. Uh, we, we must have confidence in what we say from, from the scriptures. The, the second question is obviously uh, just as important. It's the question, okay, if, if it is a moral issue, and it is, which places homosexuality in our turf, how do, we, how do we help people who are wrestling with homosexuality, especially wrestling with homosexuality in this particular culture? Let me, let me begin by just giving you a sort of a rapid overview of how the discussion has gone, and we'll, then we'll talk about some of the biblical data and biological data, just trying to establish what is this? Is this a moral issue or is it a biological normal issue? Um, here's the general flow of the discussion. 
Through all the centuries, even to the present, interpreters of Scripture, when asked, is homosexuality sin according to the Scriptures, nearly everybody will say yes. There's, there's really been no, no question about that. Certainly, there, there are always going to be some heretical voices on the side, but even, within, in the, even those with a pro-homosexual agenda, when asked the question, do you think the Scripture talks about homosexuality as sin? They will say the Scripture talks about homosexuality as sin. That's not the end of the discussion, but, but there seems to be very little debate on, on that particular question. It seems to be a fairly straightforward question. But there are... I would suggest to you two factors that leave people thinking just a little bit more. One is an interpersonal factor, for example. Um, you have your theology of homosexuality down pat. Um, it is a perversion. Uh, it is an abomination. It's wickedness. And then you meet somebody who's a happy homosexual. Or you meet somebody who's struggling with homosexuality. I can remember the first time this happened to me. It was, it was in college, my first year in college. I developed a friendship with a fellow in freshman English. Nice fellow. And, uh, and I happened to go somewhere one weekend, and, and there was a, a booth, the, 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 the gay activists on campus, and he was manning the booth. He was, he was the new chairman of the, the gay activists on, on the campus didn't make sense to me at first. He was a nice guy. <laughs> I really liked this guy. And, and he didn't go out trying to uh, have, have sexual relationships with every single man on campus every, every single day. I mean, struggled with lust. Um, uh, he seemed to be involved in a fairly steady relationship with another man. Um, seemed to be a pretty normal, nice guy, except for his sexual preference. That was... That, that, that begins to, to, to shape my theology a little bit. It just didn't seem to fit. The, the, his persona, his demeanor, his style of life seemed to be a, an exemplary style of life except for his homosexuality. That's, that's one reason I think people are left scrambling. Uh, yeah, the scripture says this, but maybe it's not that simple because these are nice people we're talking about. Um, second thing, and this is... Um, this is obvious to all of you, there has been this biological literature coming at us for the last decade, coming at us more strongly over the last four years. Uh, and these scientific challenges, uh, they, they're essentially saying that homosexuality is a biological phenomenon, and how can you ever hold somebody responsible for biology? How can you, how, how can you be so cruel as to call this a moral issue? when it's a constitutional issue. They're the two challenges that we experience to this very simple statement, homosexuality is sin, and that's what the scripture has to say. Um, now, as a result of those challenges, the interpersonal challenge, as well as the scientific challenge, it seems like we end with, um, with a new hermeneutic, if you will, a new way of interpreting the scripture. And this isn't unusual to many of you. For example, if I'm not trying to agree or disagree with this, but let's say that you interpreted Genesis 1 as seven 24-hour or six 24-hour day periods. That's that's how God created the world, six 24-hour days. And then you begin to run across this quote scientific data that seems to suggest that the, that the Earth is very very old. And then you come across some geological data that seems to suggest that 
that there were eons and eons of developments in, in what you're suggesting are these six days, you know what a lot of you are going to do? You're going to go back to the scripture and say, could it be another way? And a lot of you are going to come out and say, well, sure enough, a day could mean not just 24 hours in the scripture, it could mean a period of activity that has a beginning and an end, but it's, it's the day of the Lord, which can be a very long day. So it's not unusual for us to do those sorts of things. When there are certain challenges to us, it leaves us going back to Scripture and say, have I interpreted Scripture accurately? Well, some people are going back to Scripture, and as a result of the interpersonal challenges and as a result of the more medical or biological challenges, they're saying that, yes, the Scripture says homosexuality is sin, but the Scripture did not understand homosexuality as it is understood today. If Scripture had the medical evidence, it wouldn't have said homosexuality was sin, also, if Scripture was more sophisticated in understanding that we're not just talking about homosexual acts, we're not just talking about male prostitutes, we're talking about a constitutional homosexual orientation from birth, if Scripture knew those things, it wouldn't have these, these prohibitions against, against homosexuality. That's part of the new hermeneutic. The, the next part of the new hermeneutic may go something like this. The way you are sexual doesn't matter, really, in Scripture. The love command supersedes these other prohibitions. The scripture is just not that concerned about the way you demonstrate your sexuality. Essentially, the way you demonstrate it is it, is it don't hurt other people. Um, so adultery, people could still say, is wrong. Homosexuality, because it's not hurting some other party, it's not leaving somebody injured as a result, is okay. The new hermeneutic suggests that the scripture is unsophisticated in its understanding of homosexuality, it has to be updated. The new hermeneutic suggests that the love command supersedes the, the prohibitions against homosexuality. Now, I'm going to spend some time talking about the, the biological data. Now, I recognize that, that, the, that, that your thinking and the world's thinking about homosexuality does not turn on the biological data because the biological data has not proved anything. What the biological data has done is it's just raised lots of questions in people's minds, and it's a result of that that I think it's important to discuss. Before that, let me talk about the definition of homosexuality, and this may seem like a very straightforward definition, but it is a, a fairly radical definition that I believe is a very important one. Homosexuality, thoughts or actions in adult life motivated by a definite erotic attraction to members of the same sex, usually, but not necessarily, leading to overt sexual relationships with people of the same sex. Now, what is radical in that is that I am saying not just homosexual action, but homosexual thought, homosexual intent. Uh, that is where a lot of the action is in the evangelical community today. And if there's anything, one, any one thing that you, you end up thinking about as a result of our time this afternoon, I, I hope it will be that. This, is, it, is, it, is it a biblical distinction between orientation and, and action? Can, can Christians continue to have the orientation but simply not act on, on that particular orientation? Wall Street Journal, February 1994. A group of Christian and Jewish biblical scholars. Although we are equal before God, we are not born equal in terms of our strengths and weaknesses. Our tendencies and dispositions, our nature and nurture. We cannot utterly change the hand we have been dealt with by inheritance and family circumstances, but we are responsible for how we play the hand. Now, this, was a, this is a, a striking piece in the New York Times. It was a piece that 
in a very articulate way, called out for family. Uh, but do you agree with it? Um, we cannot utterly change the hand we have been dealt with by inheritance and family circumstances, but we're responsible for how we play this hand. Now, I, I suspect that many of you would say, that sounds like a fine quote, if I, haven't, if I didn't already set you up to be a little bit suspicious of a quote like this. Um, what about this? Is it, is it possible to have a homosexual orientation and just simply put the hedge between that orientation and, and action? That's going to be perhaps the most significant of the questions that we have to wrestle with. Let me begin with, with a quick comment on it now. The scripture, as you know, it doesn't make a distinction between intent and action. That is an artificial distinction that somehow we have made up and, and, and doesn't exist in the scripture. The classic text is the Matthew 5 text. Matthew 5, 27 to 30, where, where, where Jesus is talking about adultery. Um, uh, other scripture, where, it, talk, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, where the Pharisees may be white on the outside, but dead on the inside. Jesus makes it very clear that, that all of scripture is, in, is concerned with action as well as intent. They're, they're tied together. You can't, you can't separate the two. Homosexual intent is in the same category as homosexual action. Now, very quickly, what does the Bible have to say? You all know this, I recognize. But I am preparing you for the next decade. And I'm, not, I'm not giving you all the data now to prepare you. But in the next decade, all the, argu- all the biblical arguments you have now will have to be re-examined because going to be, there's going to be challenge after challenge after challenge. I'm just trying to remind you that there is some, some clear biblical data, and you will probably end up going back to it over the next 10 years. Let's just take a quick run through the scripture on this. Where do we begin by thinking biblically about homosexuality? The creation account, obviously. Uh, the, the, the intent at creation, which seems to be the foundation for the argument that goes throughout scripture, is God intended companionship and intimacy to be male-female. Um, since uh, you're probably a little bit tired, I, I wouldn't say this otherwise, but in the, uh, in the words of that famous theologian, Little Richard, what did he say? He said, um, he said God didn't make Adam and Eve. I mean, God, God didn't make Adam and Steve. He made Adam and Eve. Um, so, I mean, I, I re- I, I mean that, it's not like me to say a quote like that, but, uh, but I realize it's getting late. Marriage, a cleaving, man and woman. Heterosexual relationship is God's normative direction for sexual desire. For sexual desire, very clear. Um, okay, that's the foundation. It's assumed throughout the Scripture. Let's quickly go to just a couple other passages. Uh, the Ten Commandments. Here's an interesting quote. Uh, Bill, Bill Clinton, interviewed by Peggy Waymeyer, says this: "The whole issue of homosexuality did not make it into the Ten Commandments." In other words, why are you making such a big deal out of this when the scripture doesn't make such a big deal of it? Now, that's an interesting observation. Um, uh, it's true. Homosexuality is not in the Ten Commandments. Um, the Ten Commandments interpreted that way means I can lie to anybody I want as long as you are not Masood, who lives on this side of me, or the wagon halls who live on this side of me. As long as you're not my neighbor, I can lie to you all I want. Or... Or we can beat each other to a bloody pulp with our words and our actions, as long as you don't die. <laughs> okay? Um, 
And that's, that's following the, the Clintonian hermeneutic with the Ten Commandments, <laughs> seems to me. Um, As you, know, as you know me, I'm not a political activist either. I wouldn't say these things if it wasn't 3.30 and your brains weren't filled. But uh, obviously homosexuality did make it into the Decalogue. It makes it in the Seventh Commandments, where the Seventh Commandment says you shall not commit adultery. Then the book of Leviticus, which is what? Which is an elaboration on the Ten Commandments. In the book of Leviticus, it, uh, it, it gives you sort of the case law with, with, the, uh, with the overarching principle. Leviticus 18.22 and Leviticus 20.13, do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. This is detestable. Then it goes on in Leviticus 20.13 and says they must be put to death. They must be put to death. Um, that seems to take it out of the realm of ceremonial cleanliness or, or particular cultural cultic law. Uh, it uh, is very clear that this is against God's law. Pauline literature. Paul follows the same arguments. Romans 1 is, 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 is a very clear passage. It's a, it's a somewhat difficult passage, but it seems to go like this. You know the true God, but you don't honor him. Instead, what you do is you take what is beautiful and glorious, the love of the creator God, and you, and you exchange it for something that is detestable and wicked. You exchange it for worship of the creation. And love of the creation, love of idols for your own purpose. As a result of this, as a result of this exchange for things that are glorious, for things that are detestable, God says, I will allow you to continue to the exchange. Um, what is glorious is, is, is marriage. What is detestable is homosexuality. And God says he, he will give you up to, to homosexuality. Um, now, some people might pull out a technicality there and, and say, well, Paul isn't condemning homosexuality here. He's saying that homosexuality is, is, a, is a consequence of sin. It's a consequence of idolatry. In the same way that in the Old Testament, people could have sickness as a consequence of their idolatry. Are you going to say that sickness was sin? No, you wouldn't say that their sickness, you wouldn't say their boils were sinful. Um, it was a consequence of sin, but it wasn't sinful per se. But recognize in the scripture that God often uses, he, he curses us with, with the sin itself. Uh, the, the appropriate curse for the sin of homosexuality is to let you go to experience the horrible fruit of, of that homosexuality. Homosexuality, in this case, is sin, and it is punishment for sin. What do we do with, with Romans chapter 1? Homosexuality is an expression of an idolatrous heart. Uh, this, this may sound a little strange, but the, the major problem is not homosexuality. That's not what you're going after. Well, this, is, this is stuff you had for breakfast and lunch today. What you're going after is the idolatrous heart. <laughs> homosexuality is the expression of an idolatrous heart. Uh, it is, it is sin uh, that, that reveals unbelief, that reveals a person who, who stands against God. Perhaps to say it a little bit more strongly, and I just, I just throw this out to, to perhaps incite you a little bit uh, or, or, to, uh, or to have you think about some things. Homosexuality, this is a quote from, a, from another book, is the cultural culmination of rebellion against God. 
Homosexuality, this person goes on to say, that is publicly accepted is symptomatic of a culture under judgment. Uh, fairly harsh words, but seem to be consistent with, with, uh, with, a, with, a, with a evangelical interpretation of Romans chapter 1. The argument. But Paul is not dealing with homosexuality as we know it today. Uh, he's dealing with selfish, unloving homosexuality. That, that really is his point. Um, how, would you, how would you think about that, biblically? Um, this metaphor may, may work for some of you, but it wouldn't work for a homosexual, I'll say it anyway. Um, it's, it, it's somewhat similar to, to saying that adultery is beautiful uh, as long as there is love. Um, now, I don't know about you, but everybody I know who has been involved in adultery, they say they did because they loved the person. Um, uh, scripture cares. Scripture gives clear guidelines for the way we show love. Um, that might not hold water for somebody who's committed to a homosexual position because they say, no, you can't use that analogy because I'm not saying adultery is, is good in the same way homosexuality is. Remember that new ethic? Adultery hurts somebody. Homosexuality doesn't hurt somebody. How would you respond to that? Um, that's difficult to respond to because, because we're, we're starting to compare apples and oranges. I mean, we're trying to, to argue from a biblical position and a person has now gone outside of the scriptures and, uh, and made, made their own desires or authority. So it's very difficult to argue with that position. Perhaps the one thing that you do know, however, is that, no, no, uh, homosexuality is clearly an intrapersonal phenomenon. It is against somebody. It may not be against somebody's spouse, but all sin, and unfortunately we're, it seems like we lose some of this, all sin is covenantal. All sin is against God primarily. Many times people get hurt uh, as, as, as people express their sin in the world, but sin is interpersonal. Homosexual sin, even though it may not ostensibly be hurting somebody else, it is, it is against God. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, Don't be deceived, neither sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexual offenders. There are two words for homosexuality there. Uh, different ways to think about that. Uh, some people think about it as the active homosexuality or, or as the more passive sexuality, homosexuality. Nor thieves, greedy, drunkards, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That is what some of you were. Uh, strong words. Um, all you can do is try to edit that out of Scripture or perhaps say that, that Paul didn't realize that there is such a thing as homosexual orientation today. Uh, or perhaps say that, um, that Paul was just the, the Rush Limbaugh of his day and uh, he, was a, he was a rightist and, uh, and didn't know any different. Oh, by the way, you, I don't know why I'm talking politically today. I just don't think this way at all. But as you know, you know, the scripture is not right or left politically. I mean, uh, in, a, in a licentious society, the scripture seems to be sort of right. In an oppressive society, the scripture seems sort of left. Um, and our society is both. Okay? There is oppression and there is licentiousness. And so you can't categorize the scripture in any, any one particular place. Certainly you can't say that, uh, that Paul was just some sort of rightist bigot. Um, that's some of the biblical data. As far as we can tell, you have to be, have a very slippery hermeneutic to get around with that. The scripture calls homosexuality intent and action, sin against God. 
So biological response. Let me go through some of these things fairly briefly. First, an overview of how you think about science. First of all, the observations of science are friendly. Uh, they're fun. They're interesting. They can provide nice challenges to us. The interpretation of those observations can be utterly wicked or misguided or sloppy. Um, so, so I'm not concerned so much about the observations that people make. I am much more concerned about their interpretations of those observations. Uh, and as I will, uh, I will repeat again later, if you read the original research uh, for all the, the articles that suggest homosexuality might be biological, if you read all the original research, all that research is interpreted fairly well. And by that I mean they all say, I don't know what this means. It doesn't mean that homosexuality is biologically caused. Nobody is so naive to say that. These are people who have a pro-homosexual pro agenda. Um, but they're good researchers, uh, and, and they know the limitations of their data. They say, this does not mean that homosexuality is, is located in our biology. It's interesting. Their observations have had to be confirmed by many other people. We don't know what it means at this point. But then it gets to the 6 o'clock news, and they found the gene that, that is the marker for homosexuality. Um, so it's not the facts themselves. It's the interpretation of these facts that seem to be bothersome. The other thing is, please recognize that science is always limited in its, in its explanation. If you, had, if you had a perfect device that could hook into my brain and, and see what was going on in my brain while I was loving my wife, um, would you fully explain love for my wife? <laughs> okay. No, you would see how it sort of represented, perhaps on a biological level, but nobody, scientists, determinists, materialists or not, would say, I finally captured the grand explanation for, for you loving your wife. No, that's, that's not the reason I love my wife. It, it can't be reduced to biological phenomena. There are biological things that go along with loving my wife, but that's not the full explanation of it. Um, recognize science is limited in its ability to explain. Obviously, also recognize that science can't tell us if something is right or wrong. It's just not intended to do that, and scientists will, will, will tell you that. Now, to get into some of the literature, animal studies. A couple animal studies that might be interesting to you. One animal study is where people go and they look and they observe other animals, and they find that there are, there are homosexual type behaviors that, 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 that same-sex animals seem to engage in. Therefore, homosexuality is normal. It occurs in nature. Uh, so it's normally occurring in the human species as well. Very quick comments on that. First of all, the scientists themselves, who have no political agenda whatsoever, debunk it. Um, even the, the pro-gay scientists debunk it. They say this doesn't prove anything. This doesn't have anything to do with homosexual orientation, and that's what we're interested in. Uh, the other thing they say is, if... if, if a mammal in the wild, if they have a preference between a male and a female, they will take, they will take the opposite, they will always have a preference for the opposite sex. Um, so you can't do anything with that, with that data. So I want you to just know it's out there, it's been debunked in all kinds of scientific research. Um, second animal studies. Rats, cast, male, male rats, castrated from birth, and then given an abundance of female hormones uh, as they start to reach maturity. They demonstrate female mating behaviors. Therefore, homosexuality is a hormonal phenomenon. Um, 
What do you do with that? Um, uh, okay, let's go to the next one. Um, <laughs> uh, no, the, uh, essentially you do a couple things with that. One is that it, everybody realizes, every, I'm, I'm talking about every student of the brain realizes that human sexual response is very different than an animal sexual response. Animal sexual response, you, you, want, a, you want a sexual response in the pig? Well, you, you sit on its back and you blow some hormones in its nose, and it's going to have a sexual response. Um, but you know, I could, you know, we could have we could have hormones being thrown through all these pipes, and none of you would turn into some sort of some sort of stark raving sexual lunatic. Uh, it, it, it wouldn't happen. Uh, all scientists know that 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 the sexual the sexual response in human beings is much much more complex and some, some simple one-to-one -one correspondence between the hormone kicks in and you do this. Um, there are also people who are somewhat genetically confused um, by birth, from birth, um, where they, they have the external genitalia of, of one sex, but, but hormonally they're a bit, they're a bit lopsided. Um, what happens with those people? They, they consistently tend to have a, a heterosexual orientation. Uh, that, that is, they'll be oriented to whatever their genital type is, they will be oriented to, to a person of the opposite genital type. Um, the other thing is that, that research has demonstrated that, that if, you, if you pump somebody up with hormones, if you, if you pump a male up with female hormones, you know what's going to happen? Guaranteed this will happen. Testicles will shrink, you start to grow breasts. Okay? So, so, so no question, hormones of the opposite sex can, can affect the development of the sex organs, but there is no evidence that it will affect the development of sexual orientation. I'm giving you a very quick summary of a large body of literature, but that tends to be a summary that, that, that most researchers would, would agree with. There are the animal studies. The, the other studies, a bit more sophisticated, dealing with the human brain itself. All of you, I suspect, are familiar with Simon LeVay who came out uh, right around 1991 with a lot of fanfare in Science Magazine. Uh, he didn't do anything with that. Because LeVay didn't even do anything with that. LeVay, at the end of his article, had all sorts of qualifiers, all sorts of limitations. And he said, we don't know what to do with these things. You know, get some other research out there. Uh, it's a very small study that I did. Uh, and the, the technology for counting neurons is not sophisticated. And there's, there, there's, error, there's potential error. Uh, this thing has not been replicated. Um, and also, just to say that there are, there are more neurons in the hypothalamus in the, in the homosexual brain doesn't have anything to do with whether it causes homosexual behavior or not. Um, that's what LeVay said. Okay. They were his, his criticisms, his limitations that he said about his own study. That's all we'll say about it. Uh, a couple other kinds of studies. Genetic differences. You go into the population and you find identical twins. And curiously, what you find is Identical twin, homosexual. How many? What's the percentage of the other identical twins might, who might be wrestling with homosexuality? You probably guess. No, 50%. Um, what do you do with that? Um, that seems to suggest that it is a biological phenomenon. Well, most of you know. That only proves one thing. It only proves that it is not a genetic phenomenon. <laughs> That's the only thing it proves. Because if it was a genetic phenomenon, obviously, if one homosexual, identical twin who has struggled with homosexuality 
it was struggling with it because of a gene, then 100% of the other twins would be struggling with homosexuality. Now, you could look at the study and say the other 50% were lying, but, uh, but nobody has made that conclusion from, from this particular study. Uh, so that's, that's really the only thing you can definitively bring from that particular study. Other than that, you say you can't, you can't demonstrate anything with people living in the same house together. Uh, uh, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of peer influence among twins. You know, how, can, how can you, uh, I mean, there are all sorts of other explanations for it. So anyway, I'm trying to say this, this is stuff out there. There are all sorts of limitations on these studies. Um, finally, one other study on genetic differences, but it wasn't looking at populations. It was looking at actual genes themselves. Suggestion that they found in the DNA on the X chromosome homosexuality. Um, well, I, actually, that's not what they said. What they said was, here's interesting. Um, here's an interesting phenomenon. It seems like there are some men that when we have access to their DNA, it seems to be different sometimes with this particular marker on this particular gene. You don't have any idea what it means, and it might mean nothing whatsoever, um, but it's interesting. So I'll go out and study it for the next 20 years. Um, so in other words, you know, how do we respond to these studies? Uh, we remember that, that the research does not for a moment say that we found a biological cause for homosexuality. No, no researcher in their right mind would ever suggest that. It's only the, the wicked interpretations that tend to come after. Uh, it just does not exist. Um, the second thing we might say is that even if the research uh, w was stronger than, than it is, even if, e even if we could say definitively the hypothalamus of homosexual brains is different than the hypothalamus of a heterosexual brain, even if we could say that, we'd say, okay, well, that's interesting. Um, which came first? Uh, you know what happens to a blind person? A blind person, if you... If you slice up their brain after they die, there's an area of the brain that mediates the sense of touch. You know, what's gonna, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find a real dense area. Why is that? Because the blind person was born with a real dense area in that area of the brain? No. You're going to find it because the person relied on their sense of touch. and It was, it was very well developed, and, and, and the brain accompanied that. The brain just, just had lots more intercommunication in that particular area which came first. With the blind person, it was, it was the practice of touching that led to the changes in the brain. Um, unfortunately for, for many brain researchers, they're never going to figure that one out. They, they may someday find that there are differences between a homosexual brain and a heterosexual brain, but they will never be able to say which came first. Did, did, did that brain lead to homosexual orientation, or did homosexual practice lead to the changes in the brain? You, you, you simply will not know. So we go back to our biblical data and say we don't have to really do any reinterpretation of the biblical data. Um, the biblical data says that the necessary and sufficient explanation for all homosexuality is sin. Now, sin is, uh, that sin is given shape by a number of different experiences that we can have in our life, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, but, but sin remains the cause of homosexuality, and, and all the biological studies Will, will not refute that. Now, let me move to, to some counseling suggestions. All I tried to do then is I'm trying to warn you of stuff that's coming down the pike. And I'm just trying to remind you that you don't have to be threatened by this particular literature, that, that, uh, that 
the, the biblical interpretation that homosexuality comes out of a sinful, idolatrous heart uh, is, is true to Scripture, and it's consistent with the research that has come out. Now, just some comments on, on helping. Uh, if, it's a homo- if, if homosexuality is a moral problem, and we believe it is, how do we help? Let me, let me organize it first by, by using the word welcome. You welcome in teaching, in preaching, and counseling. In seminary, there was a professor who, who uh, preached a sermon one day, and he began his sermon by saying, this is the way that I see you. And he, he began to describe himself sort of like rubber man. I, I, there probably is no such thing as rubber man, but, but uh, he, it's like he, he took his arms, and his arms started extending out to the walls, and they extended around the walls and around the back. And he, he would envision his congregation as, as people he was embracing. That's the way he would preach. Um, that's the way you welcome persons wrestling with homosexuality. You, you are rubber man, okay? You may not embrace them, uh, but in your mind, your arms are, are going out and, and bringing them to yourself and, 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 and proclaiming the love of Christ to them. Um, now, the love of Christ may be proclaimed differently to some people. The, the unbeliever who, who, who has not wrestled with what God says, you embrace them and you call them to, to hear God's words. Uh, the, the believer who, who, who wants to change because they know what God says, you, you embrace them. The believer who knows what God says but persists self-consciously in, in, in their homosexual actions, you may love them in different ways. You may love them with warnings. You may love them with exhortations. You may love them by expelling them from the church, as, as the Apostle Paul talks about. But it's still, in the same context, of how can I demonstrate the love of Christ? How can I welcome these people who God has given me? Homosexuals, like alcoholics, typically don't feel welcomed by the church or anybody associated with the church. And the fault lies, I believe, on both parties. Um, the fault may lie with, with people wrestling with homosexuality because they, if you believe that homosexuality is sin, immediately you have not welcomed them. Okay? Uh, and that puts you in a difficult position. Um, so I think the fault may lie with people wrestling with homosexuality on one hand. On the other hand, for all the talk about homophobia and exaggerations, I believe it's true. Um, and uh, I found it in myself many times. I found these fears. I, 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 find myself, I find myself discriminated among sins. There are some sins that I can rub shoulders with and have no problem. There are other sins that are just like to have just a little bit of a, a distance between myself and any other person. It might not be physical, but just some sort of mental distance. Um, you welcome people who are struggling with homosexuality. You welcome them with certain attitudes. An attitude that says, 1 Corinthians 6, um, there's no worse sin. All sin is a violation of God's law and God's character. Public behaviors are no more sinful than private thoughts. Perhaps the only distinction in Scripture when it's weighing different sins is the sins of the Pharisees tend to be held up uh, for greater condemnation than any of the other sins in the Scripture. So if you want to make a categorical distinction, that might be the only one you can make biblically. My attitude is that you're one sinner speaking to another. Um, Or you're a sinner who by God's grace has been radically changed and 
and you, and, and you, want, to, you want to lead a person to that same fountain. Uh, that, that is your attitude. So sometimes I might ask questions. How am I doing as a, as a friend to you? Um, does it seem like I love you? Does it seem like I'm afraid of you at times? Does it seem like there are times where I stand in self-righteous judgment over you? Um, I will ask those questions specifically. Um, because I know I can do those things, and I want to be called on them. I want to change. The second attitude is, that's the first attitude. Don't, don't, don't be a counselor of a person wrestling with homosexuality if you don't have that first attitude. And don't counsel with somebody wrestling with homosexuality unless you have the second attitude as well. That is, you are, you are so excited by, how, by what God has done in your own life. You're so excited about how he is, he is taking you out of the mud. He has taken you out of the grave, and he's given you life, not because of anything you've done. Uh, he has demonstrated forgiveness to you at the cross. Your deepest need, if you're not excited about it, don't counsel with somebody who's wrestling with homosexuality. Um, that must be your attitude. You, have, you are a bearer of a gift, a great and a beautiful and a precious gift. And if that person doesn't like your gift, your response might be similar to my daughter yesterday. She, um, it was one of my daughter's birthday, and uh, she gave a gift. My, my younger daughter gave a gift to my older daughter, and my older daughter was very gracious, but she didn't like it that much. Um, and uh, she tried to be very nice, but you could see it in her face. And the younger daughter, she, she went off and cried. Um, and it wasn't this cry of self-pity. It was just she had this delight in giving this present to, to her older sister. That's your attitude. Okay? If, if a person does not accept the, the, the beautiful present that you want to give them, you cry, you mourn, um, because you, you, you know liberation is right, it's right there, right in front of them. They're the attitudes that, that you bring to, to your counseling. The message that you bring that accompanies the, these attitudes is how you're going to love them. You're going to love them by saying to them that homosexuality is sin in thought and in practice. It is against God. It's idolatry. It's worship of our desires. It's, it's, a, it's our, our attempt to glorify ourselves rather than glorify God. It is against God. Perhaps I might ask people to respond to statements such as this. Could you, could you think about this during the week? Homosexuality is sin. Okay. What do you think about that? You're probably going to have to think about what is this sin thing uh, and why is homosexuality sin? I'm trying to open discussion to, to, to see that, that homosex, the, the, the problem with homosexuality is that it is against God. That's the nature of sin. It's for us and it's against God. Okay. Could, you, could you respond to this during the week? Homosexuality in thought and in practice, is sin. Um, okay, I don't know about this thought stuff. I agree with it in practice. I, the scripture is clear. But what about these thoughts? I can't get rid of, of these different thoughts that I have. Um, leads to some very important biblical material. Let me go on to some other suggestions. I'm going to skip over some things there. Um, and, and the message hopefully will be clear as I talk about gathering data and move on to, to a couple other areas. Um, but see, I, I, I try to present the attitude that you approach somebody with. That does not mean you don't call homosexuality, you don't call homosexuality sin. It means that you must. 
because you treat other people the way you want to be treated. I mean, if, if, you, see, if you see sin in my life, it's only the ones here who love me who will sit down with me and say, Ed, I'm concerned for you. I love you. And this, these are the things that I see. Um, so, part of your message is clearly proclaiming that homosexuality is something that is against God. Let me, before, before, maybe before some of the counseling specifics, let me give you one other comment. A, Winston Smith, who's a counselor at our counseling center, has mentioned this the other week in the staff meeting. He talked about the expulsive power of a new affection. It's five of four. Okay? Uh, I don't know if I should be throwing this one at you now. Uh, expulsive power of a new affection. That's part of your message. Okay? How do you get this stuff out of your heart? Okay? Well, you get it out of your heart by developing a new affection for Christ. By, by presenting Christ as the beautiful and glorious Lord until, until a heart swells and everything else in the heart has been, has been violently expelled from the heart. The, what did I say? The, the what? The expulsive power of the new affection. Some counseling specifics. Gather data. And as you gather data, you're going to find certain things that gave shape to that idolatrous heart that, that ended up with this, this thought or action of homosexuality. Here are some things you might find. This is not comprehensive by any means, but I think they're important. Some people might be ignorant. They don't know what God says, and so you teach them. Some people might be angry. This is, this is the way I can get my father angry. Okay? I hate my father, and if there's any way that I can get to him, it is by being a homosexual. Uh, obviously, if, if, if that is part of the shaping of homosexuality, I mean, you, you deal with it in a very specific way, biblically. Um, let me just mention one other one, or two others. Third, being led astray by ungodly shepherds. Being seduced. Being seduced, I find that is oftentimes a part of a person's homosexuality. Am I putting seduction before sin? No, I'm not. I'm saying that, that everything, all the goods were there for homosexuality to manifest itself in all of our lives. It was given a particular shape in somebody's life because of seduction. Um, what are you going to do in a situation like that? You're going to say that you, the person has been sinned against. You're not going to minimize what they've done with that and gone into homosexuality on their own. But but they've been led astray by ungodly shepherds. Uh, and, and God speaks against the shepherds. One other thing that you might find in your gathering of data is envy, um, is a covetousness. Is, well, you, you, look at, um, you look at homosexuals in magazines, and what do you find? You find a pretty good-looking person. You find a, a good-looking person who seems to have a body that's pretty well-maintained. There's, there's a covetousness. I, I want that. How can I, how can I obtain that for myself? Uh, I obtain it by, by being homosexual and, 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 and incorporating that into, into my life in a literal sort of way. You have to gather data, obviously, like all counseling. Another part of counseling. Truth and lies. As, you, as counseling begins to unfold, you begin to see there are two different competing kingdoms. You see the truth of God's word and you see the lies of Satan. Let me just mention a couple of different lies that I think are, are very, very important for you to point to, to, point to in, uh, in, your, in your helping with, uh, with homosexuals. 
the lie. Homosexual acts are mutable. They're changeable. Homosexual orientation is not changeable. Um, a, a, a diabolic way of thinking. Absolutely diabolic. And it's, it's a theme that runs throughout the Christian church. Um, here's one place I've seen it. Uh, Hebrews 4.15 Christ sympathizes me in my weakness. We have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. Who is not, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Was Christ tempted in any way with homosexuality? If you say yes, you better rethink things before you go out today because you cannot use this particular passage to say that Christ has sympathy with my homosexual orientation. My orientation is a result of suffering, constitutional suffering, and now I've got to try, to try to put a hedge around myself for the rest of my life. Homosexuality is sin. It's the same way as saying Jesus entertained thoughts of thievery. He entertained thoughts of lying. When Jesus, Jesus hated sin, he was perfect. It's a completely different temptation that the Scripture talks about when, when, when it's talking about with Jesus. It's, it's, Satan, it's, it's external temptation that comes to him and says, here, what, why don't you do this? And how does Jesus respond? He responds in hatred against, against those, those, those sinful, the, the, the sinful suggestion. Uh, and he rebukes it and he follows his father in obedience. You cannot use Hebrews 4 uh, to suggest that God has sympathy for homosexuality because Jesus struggled with it himself. Jesus never had a homosexual orientation. That would be blasphemous. Homosexual, you see what I'm trying to emphasize. I'm trying to make as clear as I can that the orientation is changeable. Uh, well, how can you change your desires? Have you forgot about the gospel? Um, you ever have an enemy? And the gospel has changed you so you love your enemy? That is utterly impossible. That's the Lord changing you on a deep level, changing your desires. Of course, God changed. He's in the business of changing our desires. Um, homosexual person is going to know the beauty of godliness and better fight homosexuality at the level of the imagination. Uh, and my fear is that, 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 that people have been given biblical warrant to never fight homosexuality at the level of the imagination. Uh, they, they fight it at the level of behavior. And here you can just sort of transport all the things Paul said this morning uh, to this particular discussion. Uh, we want something much better. We want, we want a godly freedom for people who are wrestling with sin. And a godly freedom begins with wrestling at, at the moment of inception. The temptation that, if you want a scripture, a true scripture that talks about your temptation, it's not the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, which is what Hebrews 4.15 is talking about, being tempted by Satan. It's the temptation of James chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. It's a different kind of temptation than the temptation Jesus went through. Each one is tempted when by what? His own evil desires. He is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Truth and lie. Truth and lie. Let me give you one other lie and truth. The lie. God is holding out on me. I believe that this is one of the most primitive lies that, that we as Christians struggle with. God is not really quite as good as you think. God wants you to be some sort of stoic. Um, 
God, there, there, are all these, there are all these forbidden fruits out there that are so luscious. But God says, no, he's fencing you in here. God is holding out on you a bit. Uh, and when I find sin in my own life, I find that that lie is inevitably very close by. What is the truth? The truth is that God's law is intended to protect our capacity for pleasure. It's intended to do many other things as well. Obviously, it's intended to bring glory to God. But God's law is a beautiful thing. You better be able to persuade the person that, that this lie, that God is not so good, uh, must, must be fought. Uh, you must do violence to that lie. Because God and his law is intended to bless us. God in intended to, to minimize our pleasure. It's intended to maximize it. And all of us, I'm sure, can give many stories of how when we've, we've gone outside of that circle of safety of God's law, we've, we've experienced that subsequent cursing. God is good. And God's law is, 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 is a way to bless people and not a way to curse people. The truth, God, God's law is a beautiful thing. Psalm 119. The Old Testament people seem to know it. Uh, we seem to have lost some of that today. One more comment. Gathering data, finding out some of the things that shaped some of the themes that go throughout the homosexuality, exposing lies, and holding on to these glorious truths. Now a couple scriptures. Okay, now we're off to the races. And here's a, here's, a, here's a passage of scripture that, uh, that you might want to use. Matthew 11:12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. Um, it's a, that's a rich scripture that I've uh, been meditating on more and more over the last couple of years. For those of you who know me, you know that I don't tend to be a violent man. I tend to like things going sort of nice and easy. Perhaps that's why this has caught my attention. Because not only do I, may, may I be peaceful with the things around me where their violence is demanded, but sometimes I do the same thing with my own heart. So, sometimes when, when my heart demands an internal violence, I can just sort of play footsies with, with sin. The kingdom has been advancing violently, as it says in the King James Version, and violent men lay hold of it. Homosexuals outside the kingdom of God. Now I want to teach you how to become part of that kingdom of God, how to be a soldier in the kingdom of God. You have to be a violent man. And, and you're going to do violence at the level of your imagination as well as the level of your behavior. As a homosexual thought comes into your mind, you are going to do violence with that thought. You're not going to, to tease yourself with it. You're not going to indulge it. You're going to do violence with it. Because the thought itself is, is, the, is, is the beginnings of this process of sin. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom... It's been advancing forcefully, violently. And violent men lay hold of it. Violence by how? Violence by loving neighbor, the way God calls us to love. Violence by, by mortifying our, the flesh, by, by, by putting to death our own lusts and aspiring to the things that God calls us to aspire to. You can, you can use 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as the, as the proof text for that. One other scripture. As you are a violent, violent man. Violent men get tired, I recognize this. 
Uh, and there are going to be times when you're going to want to break, and you've been, you, you're sick and tired of doing violence day after day, and uh, you just want to you know, just, just say, I'm just going to indulge for a moment. Well, let me remind you of this. This is Luke 12, verse 32. Beautiful passage. It's a passage that shows God's delight in giving us the kingdom. When you get tired of doing violence, Lord, give me the kingdom. Give me the kingdom now. I, 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 I need it. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Your Father delights in giving you the kingdom. God is not, is not saying, hmm, I, um, you, you have not struggled well enough yet. I, I will give you the beauties of the kingdom as you struggle a little bit more. God, God delights in giving the riches of his kingdom to, to all men. Encourage the person who, who engages his own flesh with this violence, with this holy violence, with a good God who can't wait to give the riches of the kingdom.